Anybody want to be part of something that changes marriages, that, that changes homes, that, that changes families, that changes people, where people who don't, where people that go to this church right now, if they wrote one time, they were suicidal. And they wanted to give up. And somewhere along, like somebody talked to them and introduced them to Jesus, and they go, I don't want to kill myself. I want to live for Jesus. You want to be a part of something like that? When, when we change lives, we change homes, we change churches, we, we change our schools, we, we change our communities, we, we change our world. And there's a question in your notes. Do you want to be part of something that changes lives for the better? I answered it for you. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You wouldn't be here. Following Christ and life-changing community. Hello, Maple Grove. I'm Serene. I'm Brad. We're the Sorrell family. Welcome to our home. <laughs> We've been coming to uh, Maple Grove for, I think, about six months now. That's right. We were new to Charlottesville and had been out of church for about a year. We did some church shopping and uh, really found Maple Grove to, to be a great church. And if we had to sum, sum up why we love Maple Grove so much and why we chose Maple Grove in one word, I think that word would be community. Yes, we are um, the only Christians in our entire extended families and uh, we were not raised in church and it's just so important to us um, when we were out of church a lot of things started to fall apart and of course it wasn't because of, of just church it was because of community and, and not being around um, believers that can love you but also hold you accountable and um, we were kind of adopt adults that need adoption if you will we both lost parents very early and it means so much to me to have mentors um, that are ahead of me that are influencing me as well as just peers and women that are going through um, rearing children and all the things that we face daily that have a sound a set of morals and values and a belief system that can um, just do life with me and I find that in our life group I find it at worship team um, and I just love Maple Grove. <laughs> yeah, and, and I do too. You know, um, I, I was raised in the ways of this world, uh, the secular world, in so many different ways, in so many different levels. And um, so, so in order to break that cycle, the community has really been helpful. Um, life group, there, there's, there's men and women there that just love on us. And... Um, uh, and then there's a variety of men's programs in, in the middle of the 1322. There's the discipleship uh, group getting ready to start up. <clears throat> and uh, just, just being able to get together with men of the faith uh, to hold you accountable, to hold you up, to share the pains, to share the joys. Um, it, it's just walking the path that God wants us to walk. And there's been such a difference in our life. And the life of our children. We have three little girls, 
they love Maple Grove like we love Maple Grove. They ask, you know, is it Sunday yet? We want to go to church. And that's such a blessing. You parents know that, to have kids that just want to go to church on Sunday. And they didn't pay us to say that. That's the truth. <laughs> the kids program and all the volunteers that help with the kids are amazing. You rock. We love you. We're blessed by you. Thank you, Maple Grove. We love you. <laughs> Your last Sunday was, was week one in our new series, Identity, the, the Grove, Who We Are. And uh, we spent our time last week talking about our, our new vision statement, following Christ in life-changing community. And, and remember, vision is a, it's a picture of the future that produces passion. And for us at Maple Grove, the passion-producing picture is a, is a future where, where countless lives are changed and are being changed for the better, for the best. A, a future where people who once were lost are, are found. People who, who once were drifting now have purpose. People who were once in bondage are now set free. A, a place where people who once were anxious are now peaceful and at rest. A, a place where people who were once full of anger now have self-control. A, a place where, where people overcome overcome lust, overcome pride, overcome bitterness, a, a place where people who were once self-serving and selfish are now generous and giving. I, I really like these videos that we've sh been showing the last two weeks of to show that, hey, you know what? Uh, lives are being changed at Maple Grove, but I, I do need to let you know something that the Maple Grove actually hasn't changed anybody. I understand, all we have done is given people a ride to the feet of Jesus, and then Jesus changed. We, we don't change lives. All we do is give people a ride to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus Christ is the one who changes lives. I, I don't want you to mistake these videos. It's about what Jesus does. We're just a vehicle. We're just a taxi. Now, we can be a good taxi, right? Have some good tunes on the way, uh, but we're just a taxi. You know, uh, yesterday I, I was reading in Acts chapter 3, and uh, that was one of the, our, our Bible chapters this week. And you remember the scene, Acts 3, Peter and, and, and John go to the temple. There's a guy who was born crippled, and people would have to carry him to the temple every day. He's sitting outside the temple. We saw a lot of people outside the arena in, in Atlanta, Phillips Arena, you know, the homeless people knowing that Christians are coming out of the service and, you know, you know with, and maybe we'll give them a, a little bit of money. Well, this guy was there all the time outside the temple. And, and when Peter and, and John come there, he, he says, hey, you got some money. Hey, we don't have money, but here's what we can give you. And by the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy walked. And, and then we read these words uh, right here. I love it. Why are you surprised? Why are you looking at us as if it were our own power or godliness that make this man walk. He's like, wait, we didn't do it. Yeah, Maple Grove didn't do it. Maple Grove can't do it. But God can do it. The person of Jesus Christ can do it. The Holy Spirit can do it. The, the power of, of his word can do it. And, and then he continues down there, Peter. It was faith in Jesus that made this crippled man well. You can see this man and you know him. I mean, you know him, you, you, you saw him every day, you walked by him, maybe you dropped in a few coins when you had it, but you saw him, you saw him crippled, but now you see him differently. His 
ankles are healed and he's walking and jumping and he's praising God. You see that his life is different because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Following Christ and life-changing community. That's our vision statement. And, and remember, vision is important. Correct vision is important. Corrected vision is important. About 30 years ago, I discovered the power of corrected vision physically. I, I was around 20 years old, and over time, I began to notice that things were starting to get a little bit blurry for me. I, I was having a hard time seeing things clearly, especially from a distance. Anybody ever been there? I think a lot of you have because uh, stats say that 75% of Americans suffer from some kind of blurred vision, and that's why every year tens of Billions of dollars are spent on these suckers and on contact lenses and on laser surgery and cataract surgery and you name it in order to correct blurred vision. Raise your hand if you had your vision corrected in any way. All right, raise your hand. So, okay, a lot of us out here, okay? Yeah, blurred vision is costly. And not just for eyes, but for the church. You see, it's so easy for the church and the church is not this building. It's us, it's me, it's you to have our vision blurred and forget about why we're really here and what we're really supposed to be doing. And, and that's why I'm really excited about what we're talking about at Maple Grove. I understand, you know, we are not about buildings. We are not about money. We are not about being bigger and better than the church down the block. We are about changed lives. We, we are about following Christ and life-changing community. We are expecting life change to happen. Life change happens when we follow Jesus, and life change happens best in the context of community. Was last Sunday like awesome or what? I mean, I mean, it, it was awesome. It, hey, you know, we can clap in church. We can be excited in the church. We can have fun in church. It, it was amazing. It was one of, if not the best times I've had in this room since I landed here. You know, and, and, and you know who is the most pumped up person around here? I mean, this guy is pumped up 10 to the 333rd power more than all of us added together. You know who it is? Jesus, right? I mean, after all, right, this is his church. And he knows what it's supposed to be about. Following him in life-changing community. And, and listen, if being in his presence, if following Jesus, if being a part of his church's body does not make us different, does not result in life change, then what's the point? Why bother? Now, this morning, we're going to unveil our new mission statement. And, and like with our, our vision statement, it is going to be more than, you know, words on a piece of paper. We're going to do more than sticking on a bulletin, making a T-shirt, put a banner around the church. It's going to be more than that. Okay, because what we're doing, see, we are taking, we're taking the KN out of known. I got this on the plane. I thought it was cool. Whoa, 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 whoa. let's do, do that one more time. What happens when we take the KN out of known? Take it out. Whoa! You see that? Okay, I was at 30,000 feet and no sleep, all right? Uh, see, because here's the deal, here's the deal. Nothing, everything we talk, we've already known this stuff, right? It's nothing new. We've known it, but do, have we owned it? We're here to own it. We don't just know this stuff. We don't just know that the church is about life change. We want to own it. We want to own it with everything that we have. 
That was, I like that. <laughs> Taking a K-N out of known. You get your own. All right. And as we unpack our mission statement, we're going we're to see that it's built on three things that we have to do if this vision of changed lives will ever become reality. And, and let's go ahead and pray. And with palms open. Heavenly Father, God, our, our palms are open. And, and God, help my heart to be open. And even though I'm standing up here, God, I, I still need to have an open heart and open mind. I God, I, I pray that, that your truth finds fertile soil today, God. I, 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 I pray that and trust that you've already done some weeding of junk that could potentially choke out your truth today. God, we need to hear your voice. We don't need to hear our voice. We need to hear your voice and, and your truth and, and see your mission. And, and God, I, Holy Spirit, man, just fill this place with you and with what you want us to do. In Jesus', in Jesus name, amen. You know, I'll never forget the first time I was introduced to the concept of mission. I was 20 years old, and after two years of training in the Navy nuclear power program, I was reporting to my very first submarine, the USS Woodrow Wilson 624. SSBN 6, there's a picture. Is, she, is that beautiful? I mean, that is, I'm serious. I see that, and my heart skips a beat. That is one beautiful submarine. And in in August of 1980, I walked into the off-crew offices of the Blue Crew. The Gold Crew had the ship underway. Um, again, I'm just 20 years old. And my very first day there, the commanding officer, Commander Moore, invited me to come into his office. And I was, like, scared to death, right? I'm a kid. I'm 20 years old. And he invites me in. And Captain Moore was a great CO. He made me feel at ease. And, and then for the next 30 minutes, he proceeded to... Tell me about the, the mission of the Woodrow Wilson and our role in our nation's defense. You see, since I was a member of the crew, I needed to be fully aware of what our mission was. It's crazy. That was 33 years ago. I was seven. And, but I, I still remember it like it was last week. Maple Grove, we, we are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're part of his crew, if you will, and it's and in his church, and his body, it's imperative that we understand what our mission is. And as we look into the Bible, we're going to find that our mission as a church, that, that our, our mission as people who say we're following Jesus, is a lot like the mission that Jesus had when he wore flesh and walked the earth, minus dying for mankind's sins and, and minus being able to do incredible miracles at will. We'll see that the rest of it pretty much lines up with what ours is. And with that in mind, I want us to see a few passages that speak to our mission. And again, I, I, I ask you to hear these better than you ever, ever heard these scriptures before. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And even the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then Acts 1.8, but when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you'll receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and in every part of the world. May God bless the reading of his scripture. Okay, here it is. Here's our mission statement. Here's the how. Here, here is what we're going to do so that you know, the vision of, of life change becomes reality. Like Jesus, we will seek the lost, make disciples, and show compassion. Okay? Stuff you maybe have known before, but we're going to own it today. Uh, let those sink in for a moment. And what does that mean for our church? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for your family? to do those things. And today is not the last time we'll look at this, right? See, we're not going to allow ourselves to stop looking at this. We're not going to allow ourselves to, to be distracted and forget what our, our mission is. We have to keep asking ourselves, what does this mean? What does it mean? to? How is this fleshed out? How do we flesh this out in our lives, individually and as a church? If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15 or open up your Bible app. You know, the cool thing at the uh, Passion Conference, the guy who, you know, came up and did the version. if you have a version program, he was there. And, and uh, it, to date, it's 125 million downloads in 431 languages. And there's been over a billion hours of Bible reading take place on that app. And I thought that was pretty awesome. Here's what we read in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomed sinners and eats with them. So there's two groups of people around Jesus, right? You have the sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees and teachers of the law. You know, I find it interesting that Jesus connects tax collecting and sin. I don't know. <laughs> and maybe I'm bitter because I wrote out my fourth quarter tax check this last week and say, are you kidding me? <laughs> I told May Lee, I said, May Lee, here's what this check is for you. What? Why do they want your money? Why do you have to give them your money? And I said, because the IRS, you don't mess with the IRS. They'll track you down. Okay. And, and, and why were the sinners and tax collectors there? Because they, they, they wanted to hear words of life from the author of life. And, and, and why were the Pharisees and religious leaders ticked off? Uh, because Jesus wasn't throwing stakes on the grill with them and sitting around and having fruitless religious discussion with them on a regular basis, okay? They just didn't get Jesus. Why is he hanging out with sinners? Because if Jesus knew the kind of people they were, he would treat them like the outcasts that they were. And, and so what did these guys misunderstand about both God and his son? Their unrelenting passion for lost people. Their unrelenting passion for me and for you. Jesus said, I have not come to invite good people, but sinners to change their hearts and lives. 
And then in Luke 15, no doubt motivated by the hunger of the sinners and the muttering of the Pharisees, Jesus tells three parables that answer the question as to why must seeking the lost be part of Maple Grove's mission statement? First, because lost people matter to God. And Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent or do not think they need to repent. So so we we got this lost sheep. And what do you think the odds are of this lost sheep making it home by himself? Not too good. And and you know why? Because sheep... um, I'll try to say this delicately. Sheep are seriously lacking in the, in the gray matter department. They, uh, sheep have a very low IQ, and you are a sheep. <laughs> so am I. Uh, one writer says this about sheep, and you're a sheep. Sheep are notorious creatures of habit. Left to themselves, they'll follow the same trail until it, they'll follow the same trail until it turns into a rut. You know right? You just keep doing the same thing. You keep doing the same thing over again. You know it's not the right thing. You know it's not working. And now you got this huge rut you can't even climb out of. They graze the same hills until they become desert waste. Pollute the ground until it's corrupt with disease and with parasites. Bottom line, sheep are just not bright animals. Would you tell the person next to you, look at them and say, you are a sheep. Now, now look at them again and say, I am a sheep. All right. True confession time at Maple Grove. And, and, and you see, the, the only hope this lost sheep has, and that lost sheep is me, and it's you, right? Is that its shepherd will go out and find them. And why would the shepherd do this? Because that sheep matters to him. And the point Jesus is making, yeah, I know you Pharisees, you don't think these people have any value but they matter to me. They matter to God. They matter to the Father. I love how Bill Hybels puts it. You will never lock eyes with anyone who does not matter to God. You walk out here, you go to a restaurant, you look at, you're going through Kroger, you look at that person, oh, that's, that person matters to God. Homeless person street, they matter to God. What, what do you think is going through the minds of the sinners and tax collectors there? No way. No way, Jesus. I, I can't matter to the Father, not me. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, you do. He said, in fact, the Father has. The Father went to party city when he knit you in the womb. He's got party plates and napkins and a banner with your name on it, and he's just waiting for the day when he can stop all the activity of, when he can stop all the activity of heaven and throw a party and welcome you home. Lost people matter to God. Lost people are valuable to God. Suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
And see, it's not just any coin. Back in the day, you know, married women would wear a headdress that had like, you know, 10, 10 coins on it. And so if one coin fell off, it'd kind of be like losing the, the diamond in your wedding ring. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God because God is the one doing the rejoicing over one sinner who repents. I mean, this lady, she's lighting a lamp, she's sweeping the floor until she finds it. Why? Because that coin is valuable to her. It's not valuable because it's lost. It's valuable because she knows that, that once she has that coin again, once she has it in her possession again, that she will have something valuable in her hands. You see, God knows that once he has a lost person in his possession again, See, we look at a lost person, they, they got no value. I mean, how much value do you think the church thought Paul had when he was, like, killing Christians? You know? We look at people, they have no value. God says, ah, they do have value. It, their value is not in their lost condition. Their value is in their found condition. When I have them in my possession, I'll have something very valuable in my hands. Would you give me all the money in your bank for this mug? Now, it's a pretty cool mug, I got to admit, but, you know, if you're a visitor, you get one for free, so why would you give us all your money? Why not? Because it's not worth it. You see, value is determined by what someone's willing to pay for it. How much is your house worth? Not as much as you think, right? <laughs> you sell your house, like, I thought it was worth this, okay, I thought it was worth this, thought it was worth this. It's worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. How much are lost people worth? What was God willing to pay you know, that in the past you were living in a worthless way, a way passed down from people who lived before you. Well, you were saved from the, that useless life. You were bought not with something that ruins like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ who was like a pure and perfect lamb. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began. Do we really get what that's saying? Uh, I understand that there was a day when a son went into a garden. I have two sons and three other, I have five children. There, there was a day when a son went into a garden and, and, that, and that son hit his knees and that son said, if, you know, desperate, right? He was such straits that he was praying and drops of blood. He said, Dad! Dad, is there another way? Is there another way that we can do this? Does it have to be this way? And three times, I mean, I, I, I picture, I remember the day that I actually picture my son being the one saying that, and I'm being the dad. Dad, do I have to suffer like that? Dad, do you have to turn your back from me like that? Dad, do you have to do this? Is there any other way? And that father looked at his son and said, this is all the way. It is my will to, as Isaiah said, it is my will to crush you. I can't even imagine looking at John or Gentile or May Lee or Leela or Chelsea who said, is there another way? No, I'm sorry, but it's my will. It's my will to crush you. There's no other way. 
And Jesus says, okay. Okay, I'm good with that. You see, Jesus had to sign off on it or we wouldn't be here, and he did. Lost people matter to God. They matter to Jesus. They matter to the the Father, and they should matter to us. Lost people are valuable to God. And you know what's really awesome? Not just lost people matter to God. Guess what? Found people matter to God. I matter to God. I matter to God. I matter to God. I, Steve Malone, I matter to God. I am valuable to God. And so are you. Say it with me. I matter to God. Say it again. Loud and let, the, let it vibrate in you. I'm valuable to God. One more time. Next. Okay, I was a lousy conductor, right? Sorry for the train wreck. And God will light the lamp, and God will sweep the floor until he finds us. Next, Jesus tells about the prodigal son, and we learn that God wants lost people back no matter how far they've wandered. You know the story, right? I mean, it's really our story, right? There's this kid, and Dad, I don't want to live with you anymore. I don't want to be in your house anymore. I got to get out of here. I want what's mine, and I want it now. Father could have said no, but he didn't. He knew it wouldn't really help. And so the day came when the son packed up all he had, and he left. He didn't just leave the house. He didn't just leave the city. He went as far away from his dad as he could go. And in that far-off land, he, he didn't call, he didn't write, he didn't tweet, he didn't Skype, right? He just stayed in that, in that far-off land and, and spending his money on wild living, going as far away as he could. And then his money ran out and his friends kind of left him and he needs a job and he gets a job feeding, what, anybody remember? Pigs. And if you know, you know, Jews and pigs were not actually on speaking terms at the time. And, 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 and so what Jesus is saying, this guy hit bottom. You ever hit bottom? Hit bottom. I mean, he got so low that, that one day he's, he's feeding the pigs and throwing it in there. And I've seen pigs being fed before. And I never once said, I want me some of that. Supersize it. Never. Right? A friend of mine had a pig named Wilma that he was growing to have bacon one day, and you know, the baconator, and, 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 and never once I say, you know, I really want that, but this guy is in there, and he sees the pig's food, and he's saying, man, I want that, and then he came to his senses. He said, I don't have to live like this. I don't have to be here. I'm going back to my father and say, dad, you know what? I sinned against you and against heaven. You know, I own what I did, and would you just make me one of your servants? And so he got up just as he is, didn't take a shower, didn't take a bath, He's stinky, smelling. He's got pig dookie hanging off of him, man. He is a mess. He's a stinking mess. And he walks home, towards his home, and his dad was already in the porch looking for him, right? I mean, that's my story. That's your story. And the dad comes running to meet him and says, I don't want to hear any of that servant stuff. You're my son. And you came home, and I welcome you. 
Lost people matter to God. Lost people are valuable to God. And God wants lost people back no matter how far they have wandered. Get it? Good. Like Jesus, we, we make disciples. Then Jesus came and to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth had, has been what? Given to me. In other words, I'm in charge, not you. How, how do you think it went down that day? It, when Captain Moore called me to his office, told me the role of Woodrow Wilson in our national defense, and I say, eh, I appreciate your time, Captain, but nah, I don't agree. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's what we should do. I, I really don't. How, how would that have went? <laughs> not pretty. As nice as he was, not pretty. And, and, and he had some authority, right? Not of the whole ship, only the blue crew, right? Jesus says, I have all authority. Yeah, so we're, we're talking about well, Jesus. I, I know, I know what you think the role, your mission is, but, you know, I, I, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And we're to make disciples. What's a disciple? It's somebody who follows Jesus. It's someone who listens to what Jesus says, who does what he does, who goes where he would go, who acts like Jesus would act. And you see, see, it's impossible to be a disciple of somebody and not wind up looking like that somebody. And Jesus said it that exact way in, in Luke. Here's what he said. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be what? Will be like the teacher. And, and when the teacher we're following is Jesus, the Son of God, the creator and sustainer of the world, some crazy awesome stuff, it's going to happen. So Jesus says to his guys, Jesus says, here's the main thing. Here's what I want you to do. Make disciples. How? By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says. Now, when I was a kid, I used to play a game called Simon Says. Anybody ever play Simon Says? Okay. And, and how do you win Simon Says? By being the last one who's actually doing what Simon says, right? No more, no less. And what I like us to do is we're going to play a few rounds of Simon Says. First time for me, too. I've never played Simon Says in church before, okay? But we're going to play a game of Simon Says. So uh, uh, would you stand up? <laughs> Suckers! All <laughs> uh, oh, the non-suckers stand back up. All the non-suckers, stand up. Simon says, stand up. <laughs> All right. First service, everybody stood up. I had to show grace. Okay, Simon says, touch your head. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your ear. Touch your head. Oh, you guys are good. Oh, God, I lost somebody. Okay. Simon says, touch your elbow. Simon says, touch your shoulder. Simon says, touch your nose, touch your mouth. Okay, you can be seated. We'll be here all day. <laughs> you all good? There's no winner? Feel free to continue this after church. <laughs> Do you know what I find really crazy? That in the church, Jesus says, is an entirely different game. 
You see, in the church, when Jesus says something, we don't actually have to do it. We just have to memorize it. We, we just have to study it. Uh, we just have to be able to talk about it. We don't actually have to do it. Forgive others. Love one another. Overcome pride, anger, and lust. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Give a percentage of your income back to God. Put God above all the things. Sure, we know those things, but, and Jesus says, we don't have to do it. All right, or we think we don't. Understand, Jesus told us, as his followers, to go and make disciples. Are we actually doing that? For example, when I tell Gentile, my eight-year-old son, to clean his room, he, he does not come back two hours later and say, Baba, I memorized what you told me. Gentile, go clean your room. And I can even say it in Greek. And later today, my two friends, Sam and Kyler, are coming over, and we're going to have a study together of what it would look like if my room was clean. He's eight, he's eight, and even he knows better, right? He knows what I expect. Hey, go clean your room. Maple Grove, 2,000 years ago, Jesus told us that he wants us, he told, he told us what he wanted us to be and what he wanted us to do. Make disciples. Be a disciple. And we as a church are declaring January 19, 2014, that we're going to take what Jesus says about making disciples seriously from this point on. No more just knowing it. No more just studying it. No more just preaching it. No more just teaching it. No more just buying a book about it. No more just going to a conference about it. No more just wearing a t-shirt about it. We are going to actually do it. What Jesus says. It doesn't matter what we did before, right? God's doing a new thing. We don't live in the past. We live in the future. And we're going to say, you know what? We're going to do what Jesus says. Jesus says, make disciples. Then we're going to make disciples because Jesus says. And because we know that Jesus does not want, he does not simply want fans who cheer him, but disciples who follow him. Now, we know what a fan is, right? We'll see a bunch of them later on today. Huge day for the NFL, all right? All right? AFC, NFC championship, right? Huge day. And, and football fans are, like, really different than most fans. I'm going to show you some pictures to prove it. As I show you these pictures, imagine someone at a golf tournament or, or the PGA bowling tour or tennis tournament at Wilmington that look like this. <laughs> Tiger Woods, Go! <laughs> Okay, not saying it, not saying it. Mickelson, Mickelson. Okay, here's some more. Here's some more. Oh, I love that one. There's a special one right there. Woo! Who do I sit next to all day yesterday? That's my friend Daniel. He's going to college in Indianapolis. He's 6'6", 250 pounds, born Outside the parking lot of Gillette Stadium right there. That's my buddy. Patriot fan. All right. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy too. All right. But I, I told, I said, Daniel, get a picture. I said, I'm going to abuse my power, church, and show. Wow. 
My power was delusional. Pseudo power. Yeah. NFL fans are serious about their teams, but listen, even though we may paint our faces, wear the jersey, put cheese in our heads, wave our terrible towels, and dress up like Halloween on steroids, we still only spend the day in the stands. We're at the wing house or in the living room. We don't walk between the chalk lines. We haven't trained all year long. We're not getting up early. We're not pushing through pain. We're not pushing through sweat. We're not pushing through tears. You see, there's a big difference between those who cheer in the stands and those who are actually on the field taking the hits. Now, if God's will is done today and the Patriots win, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. But you know, who's going to appreciate the victory more, you know, now, the guys on the field are me sitting in there eating bonbons and wings in the living room. Who's going to really, the guys who actually are on the field, right? The guys who are actually playing the game. Here's what Jesus said about following him. Large crowds were troubled with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, totally different than what you think, you know, the builder's church, right? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. And notice in those verses that here's what Jesus, some of the things he's saying about discipleship. Number one, he's saying it's an open invitation, right? Anyone, right? Yeah, there's no prequals, right? You know, it's for anyone. The invitation is inclusive. Anyone means anyone. Sexual past, anyone. Alcoholic, anyone. Addict, anyone. Recently divorced, anyone. Worried, anxious, fearful, lustful, prideful, hypocritical, anyone. Republican, anyone. Democrat, anyone. Pittsburgh Steelers fan, New York Yankee fan, Anyone. <laughs> Dang it. Anyone. Following Christ is also about a passionate pursuit. Come after me. And that phrase, come after me, was commonly used in the context of a romantic relationship. And so when Jesus says, come after me, we should understand it in the degree of, like, if we ever wanted to be in a romantic relationship with somebody and we want after it, that's how we go after Jesus. And I go, okay, I get that. In 1996, I went after and pursued with great passion someone I wanted to have a romantic relationship with. Three months later, she was my wife, right? Three months later. Time they know what's going on, it's already over, right? It's a done deal. I went after that. Well, that didn't sound good at all. Get your water. A total surrender, Jesus said, deny yourself. And that's tough to do in our culture, right? But see, followers of Jesus are willing to deny themselves. I, I choose Jesus. I, I, I choose Jesus over career goals. I, I choose Jesus over money. I, I choose Jesus over sexual pleasure that's outside of marriage. I, I, I choose Jesus over being bitter. I choose Jesus over speaking those harsh words that I really want to speak to that person. I choose Jesus over anger. I choose Jesus over personal comfort. 
I deny myself. And it's an everyday death. Take up your cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, a Lutheran pastor who was killed by the Nazis in a prison camp, said when Christ calls a man, he bids him, what? Come and die. I've done some mailings for the church. They bring people to church, and I've received some. I've never seen that one on the card. Come and die. You know, Welcome to Maple Grove Christian Church. Come and die. He's like, oh, well, I don't think so. Thanks for the offer. You know, but that's what it's really about, right? Because that's where real life begins. When we die to ourselves and we are raised to a new life in Christ. So following Jesus seems like some serious stuff. So why should we do it? Why is it worth it? Let me just quickly, and I mean quickly. I mean, I've gone to a conference. I could stay here to 10 o'clock tonight, except for a three-minute, three-hour period when I'm watching the game, right? Then I'll come back, okay, give you a halftime. But, but, but uh, really quickly, but why, why should we do this? Why, why is it worth it? Because of who Jesus is. He's God. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is, Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all we see. Jesus is the redeemer of mankind. It, it's worth it because of who Jesus is. It's worth it because of what Jesus has done. No one can do what Jesus has done. Jesus has cleaned up my past. He paid a debt he didn't owe because I owed a debt I couldn't pay, and he's guaranteed my future in heaven. Why is it worth it? Because no one can do what Jesus can do, and Jesus can do anything, anything. He can conquer any problem. He, he can bring peace to any conflict. He can calm any storm, and Jesus, only Jesus can change and reshape the human heart so that we become the person we are always meant to be. Where we can live a life, among other things, where we can live a life that is anxiety-free, where we can live a life that is purposeful, a life that is hopeful, a life where we're content, a life where we're satisfied, a life where Paul says that we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's like, I don't understand it, I can't explain it, but I just have this joy in me that is bursting over. No one can do that but Jesus, no one can shape you for the life you're created for, but the one who created you. And no mission can accomplish what his can. Guys, we're in the business of changing the eternal destinies of people before the sovereign king of the universe returns. That's a pretty important job. Doesn't seem like it? Our job is to evangelize the world before the sovereign king of the universe returns. That's what we're about. We get to change where people spend forever. Like Jesus, we seek the lost. Like Jesus, we make disciples. And like Jesus, we show compassion. When he saw the crowds, he felt sorry for them. I don't always do that to you. I mean, when he saw them, he felt sorry. Sometimes I don't even see the crowds. I mean, I can go somewhere Go through a store, go through a check line, I don't see anybody. It's like, I just see the person who, that's more than 15 items, you know. 
what are you doing in this lane? You know, I don't care if you have three kids and you're barely hanging on. I want to get my Dr. Pepper and get out of here or something. You know? When he saw the crowds, he felt sorry for them because they were hurting and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He, wasn't, he didn't feel anger. He said, I just feel sorry for them. They're hurting and they're helpless and there's nobody helping them. Jesus met some blind people. Jesus had a compassion on them, and he touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. And I'll just reference a story in the Bible. You know, it's a good Samaritan, right? Great story of compassion. And it's got an odd hero, right? I mean, we think the hero would be us, right? Something great happened in Charlottesville, and as the pastor was leaving church, he saw a need, and he handled it. And then... The elders came out and saw a need, and they did. And all the members came out. But that's not the way the story went, right? A guy is beaten, laying on the side of the road, and the religious people, people just came out of church. The line at Outback or Chili's, if we don't get there in the next 10 minutes, we might as, might as well go to Kroger and get a Lunchable. <laughs> hey, the elders are right behind me. I know they'll stop. <laughs> oh, hey, the other elders are behind me. They'll stop. They'll stop. And the hero turns out to be a guy would have been the villain, right? A Samaritan. And he, he sees the guy. Goes over and helps him, right? He, you know, maybe the robbers were still there. He could have made excuses, right? Like, what if the robbers are still there? You know, because I can go somewhere and call for help, right? You know, but what if the, you know, you know, when I was talking to my buddy Daniel, he works security at the, uh, where the Colts play. He wears his, um, his hoodie for the Patriots when he does it. And, <laughs> and there's about a time where he works security, and, and there was a guy, 400-pound guy, beating a 110-pound lady. And he's not allowed to intervene. And everybody's watching this happen right outside the stadium. He can't intervene. His supervisor's on the phone calling the police, and finally he said, I don't care. <laughs> and he went in and got in there and wound up getting fired. He broke the guy's jaw and, and stopped it, and the lady called him back, you know, and said, thank you. You know, um, he saw it happening, and he intervened, and, and I like to be that, right? This guy saw it happening, and he did what he could, the Samaritan, right? He, he, didn't move, he didn't move him into his house. He said, hey, let me do what I can. Let me... Shine my light so that people see my good deeds and praise my Father in heaven. Shortly after the end of World War II, Europe was in ruins, and perhaps the saddest sight were the little orphan children that were starving in the war-torn streets. And early one chilly morning in London, an American soldier, soldier he was driving his Jeep, and he noticed a six- or seven-year-old boy who was standing with his nose pressed to the window of a pastry shop. And the hungry boy stared in silence as the baker kneaded dough for a fresh batch of donuts. And the soldier, he pulled his Jeep over and he walked over to the little boy and he looked through the steamy window and he gazed at the mouth-watering treats and the soldier said to the boy, would you like some of those donuts? And the boy said, yeah, I would. And so the guy, soldier goes in there, he gets a dozen donuts, he comes out and he hands it to the little boy. The little boy says, thank you. And then as the soldier was leaving, he felt a tug on his jacket. 
And the little boy said, excuse me, mister, are you God? See, our world is a battlefield. So much lies in ruins. So many lives and things lie in ruins. So many are hurting and hopeless and hungry. And like that little orphan boy, that they're staring out they're staring through a window at a life. They think, I'll never have a life like that. I could never live like that. I could never know peace and happiness and joy. No one could ever think I had value. And they're waiting for us to show compassion. I mean, Jesus set up his message is always by showing compassion. I mean, that's what I love with what our students will be doing over the summer. You know, uh, where they're going to, you know, there's 27 million children, most age 12 and under, that are slaves in the sex trade. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine. You got a daughter. Could you imagine what that'd be like? And, and they're going to the Rafa house in Cambodia, and, and if anybody needs to hear about the freedom that's in Christ, they do. You know, and, and they're going to start, you know, not by going and, and doing a three-point sermon on the gospel to them, but they're going to start by showing them compassion and showing them love and, and giving them back their dignity. And through that, they'll get to know the love and person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus showed compassion and it gave him a hearing. And when we show compassion, it, it will give us a hearing. Like Jesus and I don't care if our vision were our vision, our vision was blurred before. You know, I'm not here to beat myself up or to beat you up. Well, we really stink. No, today's a new day. God's doing a new thing, and the day we're saying that we want to like Jesus, we want to seek the lost, and that implies us not just hanging a banner outside, but going out and finding them. And what does that mean? We don't have all the answers and that we're going to make disciples because that's what Jesus says. And that's what people need. That's where life is found. And, and we're going to show compassion. You know, and, and, and we need, you know, the members to hold us as leadership accountable. Or you can say, okay, cool. I really appreciate the new banner you got. It's not there yet. <laughs> you know, I appreciate the way you branded this thing. I mean, the colors and font, whoa, incredible. And the T-shirt, man, the mug, the mug is just unbelievable. But you need to be asking us, guys, what are we doing as a church to seek the lost? And you say, leaders, what are you doing to seek the lost? Leaders, who are you pouring your life into? See, it's a dangerous thing for me to stand up here and say our mission, Right? Unless we're playing games, right? Unless we're just having a conversation that we don't mean, but that's not where we're at, right? Not at Maple Grove. Not what God's doing. Not his spirit moving. There's too many hurting people. There's too many war-torn orphans in this damaged world that need our help, and they, they, we can't play games. You know, so we just ask you to hold us accountable. You know, and say, yo, yo, yo. Wait a second, wait a second. I thought we weren't about money. I thought we weren't about buildings. I thought we were about changed lives. I thought we were about seeking the laws. I thought we were about showing compassion. I thought we were about making disciples. And so I just encourage you guys to do that and to be excited about what God is going to do. Anybody excited about that? Anybody excited about seeking the lost? Yeah. 
and we're ready to own it, right, as a church. We're ready to own it. Would you stand and pray with me, and then we're going to sing a song? God, we love you, and God, we're overwhelmed by you. And God, it's so easy to get distracted and, and for a vision to get blurry. And, and God, to think that, you know, that all that counts is that knowing the right stuff and teaching the right stuff and talking about it, Lord. But God, God, I pray that we become a church of Jesus says, we do. Jesus says, we go. Jesus says, we give. Jesus says, we sacrifice. Jesus says, we show compassion. Jesus says, we seek the lost. Jesus says, we make disciples. Father, I just pray that right now you'll be with us and that your spirit will move and, and, and God, that you'll raise up an army of people ready to accept their commission from you to, to save the lost, regardless of the cost. In Jesus' name, amen.